Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. And I'm Mujahid Ali. And we are very excited to welcome to Democracy-ish for, I believe, the very first time, um, the author of the new book, The Squad, AOC and the Hope of a Political Revolution, as well as the Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief for The Intercept, Ryan Grimm. Um, Ryan, Welcome. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me here. Yeah, this first time, first time, long time. <laughs> first time, long time. Um, Ryan, I, I guess my first question for you is, you know, I, I watched a couple of your of your interviews recently, and you know, I thought that what was interesting is that was the squad formed, right, or? Was it create like was it formed by the inside, right? By those that are considered members of it, or was it something that was put upon them? These group of diverse, young, passionate, progressive, largely women, but a, but a, a couple of men. Um, you know, I, I just I, I think about this in the way that oftentimes people, generally people of color, do not get to define themselves for mm-hmm. themselves, as Audre Lorde once said, right? right. And so were, were they defined before they had an opportunity to define themselves? I, I think the short answer to that is yes. Um, and, and we could actually walk through kind of how it happened, and people can decide for themselves whether that they, were, they defined themselves or, or they were defined, because it's kind of circumstantial for, for each one. And when we'll start, you know, we can start with the four original squad members, the, the future ones that have since joined, they kind of get asked, like, are you a squad member? Would you, do you want to be in the squad? Would you be in the squad if you come to Congress? And you can kind of go by their answer, you know, so they're getting, you know, post squad, you kind of get to define whether or not you're uh, joining the, the squad. But the thing gets kicked off really when uh, AOC posts a picture of the four of them. Uh, on Instagram, and just writes squad underneath. And that's it. Like, the media is like, that'll do. We will, this, <laughs> this is the label we will use. Uh, Thank you, AOC. These. You made our life yeah. easy. <laughs> Thank you. Done. Got it. The squad. Is the capitalized? We don't know. But is squad <laughs> capitalized? Yes. Uh, so 
that's that's but that so that's how that's after they've already been you know elected and they're on their way to Congress. Now, three of the four kind of flowed out of the Bernie S- Sanders campaign. You know, Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and and uh, Ocasio Cortez are all kind of supporters of Sanders and generally share his politics. Of a you, know, you need a robust. Uh, uh, actually, you know, a lot of them were talking about a Green New Deal before it became like the Green New Deal, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Medicare for all, higher minimum wage, you know, support for labor unions. Re- really scary so stuff. On. Yeah, these out yeah, these the, the, outrageous yeah, threatening, things. Threatening these outrageous stuff. and very threatening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and then Ayanna Presley is a is a slightly different case uh, because she was actually a Hillary Clinton supporter in 2016 and had a more traditional kind of political background. Um, she had been elected first uh, black woman to be elected citywide in Boston. Uh, she was at large uh, city councilor. She was challenging a fairly progressive uh, incumbent Democrat. And so teaming up with justice Democrats, you know, helped, ex- helped her explain to voters, like, wh- what's wrong with this guy? She's like, well, I'm part of this new, this movement, this, this kind of energy that's, that came out of the Bernie Sanders campaign, uh, and is, you know, going to, Flip the Democratic Party over, um, and that uh, that actually caused some tension uh, within the uh, within Justice Democrats because they had endorsed so many people that they didn't do basic kind of <laughs> Google searches on some of them, and, then, and when when they realized, oh, this is, she was a Hillary Clinton supporter who like took corporate kind of money and lobby lobbyist money in her last city council race, like, hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and so that, mm-hmm. that led to some tense conversations where she's like, no, I'm. I'm with you 100. percent I'm not taking corporate or PAC money uh, for my uh, for my congressional election, uh, and I'm I'm with you on everything. And they finally decided like we like a revolution needs converts, and that mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. idea of a revolution requires you to say like we're going to bring people in because if you already had enough support, you wouldn't need right. a, a political revolution. And so so you've got those so you've got those four. Uh, Omar and Talib had had both served in state legislatures in their respective states, so they ha- you know they've got their own kind of political careers and interests. Uh, the thing that they have in common is they're all women of color, you know, who got elected on similar platforms at roughly the same the same time. The Justice Democrats' idea was they were going to recruit working class candidates. Originally, they were going to re- recruit four hundred thirty five. And run them in every single race. Uh, that that fell apart. So then they split it. Well, we'll do Republicans with this organization, Democrats with this one. Then it, it became increasingly clear that they weren't going to elect any people at all. Like everybody was getting absolutely crushed. And so they decided, like late 2017, early 2018, we just need to abandon everybody, including Cory Bush, who rightly remained salty about that for a while. Uh, and just put all our eggs in one basket, and they picked uh, AOC. They're like, this is the race where, with the least amount of money, and all of our volunteer resources from around the country and donors from around the country, we can pull together, and we can win this. So they didn't actually, you know, they didn't run big campaigns necessarily for uh, Talib and Omar. They had their own apparatus and their own base of support. They supported them. They endorsed them. But you, but you wouldn't say that they recruited them and pushed them into office in the way they did with AOC. They, they definitely did help Presley significantly, um, particularly around the branding of 
being a justice Democrat. Like I think you know, Presley had her own political operation and her own base of support already in Boston, but she did need that rationale of like, why, what's wrong with Capuano? And then once AOC won, her race was later, so that was which was fortunate for for Presley. And so then people in Boston were like, oh, we get to have our own AOC, awesome. And her name's Ayanna Presley, um, and Presley is you know older than the rest of them too, and so kind of became like a, a legislative mentor figure for them as well. And so it wasn't as if, and Corbin Trent, who was uh, a founder of Justice Democrats and then became communications director for AOC, talks about this in the book. He says that there, one, of, one mistake that they made or something that they would do differently if they could go back and do it differently would be to build them into a better team. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, AOC and Cori Bush mm-hmm. didn't really know each other that well. Like right. there, there was never a retreat where... Presley, Omar Tlaib, and Ocasio-Cortez, before they were famous, kind of sat down in you know, the summer or the spring of 2018 and said, all right, when we get in there, like, here's what we're going to do. That, that never happened. And so I would kind of lean towards your formulation that it was kind of put on them, though not totally unwillingly. Right. But it's impressive right. that they didn't through th- they haven't thrown each other under the butts despite the immense pressure uh, that has gone against collectively each one. And I'm going to try to bridge a lot of things together. And I'm going to be very impressed by myself. There's a reboot of the new Scream movie, uh, starring uh, Melissa Barrera, or used to star Melissa Barrera and Jenny Ortega. And in the latest one, the the new kids refer to themselves as the Core Four. Uh, and when you look at the squad, you see the core four. The core four is AOC, Presley, uh, Tlaib, and Ilhan Omer. Now, Melissa Barrera, for those who don't know and have not been following, got fired from the, the new screen movie for posting what was seen as pro-Palestinian content. She pretty much uh, shared uh, a Ross Segal, who is uh, an Israeli historian of genocide and who's called what's happening in the, in the latest uh, war, conflict, a genocide. Uh, and for sharing that Jewish Currents article, she got iced. Well, APAC has been spending a lot of money trying to ice uh, folks who are pro-Palestinian, and the squad has been very consistent in backing up Rashida Tlaib, the only Palestinian member of Congress, and being very critical of uh, Israel's actions and APAC. APAC, Ryan, has spent and is trying to spend up to $100 million. I want to put my pinky in my mouth. $100 million in the Democratic primaries, largely trained on eliminating the core four squad members from their seats. And they're just spending ungodly uh, sums of money. Uh, You just tweeted that AOC was offered $100,000 by APAC to, quote unquote, start the conversation. So the question I have for you, and, 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 uh, you know, unpack this for us, is why are these four in particular women of color? who are not senators, who are <laughs> congresswomen from the House, so threatening yep. that APAC is spending what seems to be an ungodly sum of money to remove them from the House. And I, I believe uh, Hill Harper, who's also running, tweeted, I think it was a week and a mm-hmm. half ago, that they straight up offered him millions of dollars yep. uh, to, to run against these four. Yeah, right. They told him if if you drop out of the current race you're in and run against Rashida Tlaib, uh, we'll, we got $20 million for you. God, right. $20 million. Yeah, that's, 20 that's just million. insane. 
It's you, disgusting. You can't even spend but, yeah. like Brewster's Brewster could not spend twenty million dollars in a Detroit, classic like, 1985 callback. Yeah. The, the kid, thank you as old timers uh, for those who don't <laughs> know kids. It's a Richard Pryor movie where he was given one day to spend a million dollars. It's so uh, good, and it was very difficult for him to do that in 1985. Yeah, now you, now you wouldn't have a problem doing that. But yes. no, just get a one bedroom in New York. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> so I I think that the converse. So there's there's the high level answer, um, which were the and the obvious answer, which is just having kind of authentic Muslim uh, women voices in Congress, creating space uh, to support Palestinians is just a basic level threat. And Democratic Majority for Israel, which is sort of an offshoot of APAC, uh, it's a super PAC that spent heavily uh, against all of these squad members for the most part, uh, and and also spent to kind of purge others and, and trim and make sure that the squad stayed as small as possible in future years was founded in January 2019. And it was founded kind of in direct and explicit response to the rise of the squad in general, but you know, Tlaib and, and Omar in, in particular. And they were pretty transparent about that. that and then when APAC uh, launched its own super PAC because they felt like DMFI, uh, that it was time for APAC to get itself in the game. Um, APAC had never done a super PAC before the 2022 cycle. Uh, when they did, Howard Core did an interview with Dave Weigel of the Washington Post and basically said that there's, there are voices within the Democratic Party that are too critical of uh, Israel. Uh, I wonder and, who he's talking about. Yeah, so they, were, they were quite <laughs> clear. And he even said one of the ones that they were going to go after um, was Andy Levin, who was mm. a, a, a not he was and I don't think it's a coincidence. He's the most was the most pro-labor kind of Democrat in the House of Representatives. Uh, a scion of this famous kind of Levin family, uh, Sandy Levin, Carl Levin in Michigan. Uh, but he, and he was also a synagogue president. Uh, he called himself a Zionist, but he was also highly critical of different actions of the Israeli government. And what they, what they said was that the worst part was that he would defend Rashida Tlaib. Right? He would defend Ilhan Omar or AOC when they were being criticized. And when you had a synagogue president defending Rashida Tlaib, that gave her more strength and more ability then yep. to push forward with her criticism. So first you had to get rid of Andy Levin and, you, and make sure that the squad didn't grow. And now they're in the phase of it's time to reduce the squad. And, I think and they got rid reason, of Andy Levin. They did. They beat him. Yeah. They, it's, it's incredible. APAC ran you know, a multi-million dollar campaign to get rid of Andy Levin because he was too critical. Of, of Israel. And so it, you know, goes to the question of well, this clearly is not about anti-Semitism. Like literally a synagogue president and a self-described Zionist. Uh, and but now he but yeah, they get they and 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 a last name in Michigan that should assure kind of re-election for the next hundred years. Um, but the, yes, they they but they managed to beat him. Um, there was a Democrat on Democrat primary after some redistricting. Democrats, you know, controlled the redistricting. Um, in the state, and you know, made sure that he was put up against uh, a Democrat, who then instantly started signing every kind of letter supporting Israel that was written in Congress. Uh, and, so, and she ended up beating him in the primary. Um, but I think the other answer to your question comes through in that interesting Jamal Bowman interview, uh, where um, he's he's asked about 
or he starts talking about his time in the West Bank and talks about how you know, there are streets that you can't walk down yep. based on your ethnicity, based on the ID cards that you've got. And he said, you know, when he saw that firsthand on a, a trip sponsored by J Street, it was formative and really, really shook him and, and kind of shaped how he understood uh, the conflict. And I think that's the case for anybody who visits the West Bank and sees for themselves kind of what's going on there. It's just so uncomplicated when you see it. And you don't necessarily have to visit it. If you hear from people who have gone there, you can, you can then understand what's going on. And so it's an issue, in other words, that does not withstand scrutiny. Like the only way that you can persuade yep. the Democratic Party, which is built around egalitarianism and civil rights and justice to support what is essentially, legally speaking, an apartheid government is to obscure the question so that Democratic voters are like, it's probably not that bad. There's no way. There, could, there can't be exits that uh, somebody with a license plate designated for a Jewish citizen can use, but somebody with an Arab license plate, can't, like that, that can't be, that can't be true. And so I think that's why you have to spend so much money making sure that that conversation doesn't happen. Because at the end of that conversation, you lose, you lose it. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. You know, and, and I think that that is, is, is right. And I, I've spoken about it on, on this show and on others that I too went to uh, Israel and Palestine in 2015. And my experience there was extraordinarily eye-opening as somebody who's not a foreign affairs expert, did not go to school for that. And, you know, uh, and, but it was very clear. I was like, as a black queer woman in America, this feels eerily familiar, 
right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. this does not feel right. This feels like Jim Crow. This feels like South Africa apartheid that you learned about in school. Um, this does not feel okay. And so when you see that APAC is rolling out a hundred million dollar campaign at a time when I believe that the rest of the country, this country, is waking up to realities that have been obscured for generations and now are very aware just scrolling through TikTok, scrolling on Instagram, going on whatever we refer to that broke down formal sewer place <laughs> Twitter. It's still Twitter.com. You know? So right, as long exactly. as it's Twitter.com, he can't change it. That's the name. what we're going to call yeah. it. So, um, but SpaceX.com. Right. There you go. When you see it with your own eyes now, to your point, you don't need to visit. So, how do you think, Ryan, that this campaign being waged against women of color, who a few of them happen to be practicing Muslims, is going to land now versus when AOC had her first stumbling? block over Israel and Palestine versus now we've had, um, you know, a, a censure, right. With Rashida Tlaib, there's a lot has happened. Yeah. Right. Since October 7th. And I'm just curious as to how you think that that campaign that they're waging APAC is waging is going to land. It's going to be interesting to see because in, in 2022, which happened, you know, far enough away that I was able to, you know, in, investigate it and look through the numbers for the book, you know, APAC and DMFI and some affiliated uh, pro-Israel groups spent something like 40 plus million dollars. You know, so this idea that they would spend a hundred million uh, in a bigger campaign in 2024 is not outlandish because they've already, they already did ha- nearly half that last time. And, but the difference then was that in basically zero of those races, did they make Israel Palestine the question that they were running on. So like when they went after Nina Turner, it was because Nina Turner was not uh, sufficiently supportive of, of Joe Biden. Uh, when they went after Summer Lee, it was the same, that, that she was not a good enough Democrat. They then, interestingly, switched and supported the Republican in the general election after complaining that Summer Lee wasn't a good enough Democrat. Uh, Donna Edwards, they dropped $7 million on her, saying that she was bad at constituent service. It's a former member of Congress, who uh, had cast a vote in 2008 or nine around that Gaza invasion that uh, APAC you know, never forgave and made sure that she could not come back uh, and be a, a congresswoman. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't, they didn't run a campaign that said Don Edwards voted this way in 2008. And that's why you know, she should not be on, you know, on, the, on the Gaza war. And that's why she should not be returning to office. It was, you know, Don, Don Edwards doesn't return your phone calls as a you know, when, when you have a problem in Prince George's County. And, and the same was true, like for Bernie Sanders, they went after him during the presidential campaign. They didn't come after him over his Israel-Palestine issue. They, they said he had a heart attack and he's not up for you know, campaigning yep. against Donald Trump. And so they, they, they poll, figure out what the, what the hit is that is going to work and put, them, put the money behind that. Because even if you, they are able to frame the, the kind of, ads around Israel-Palestine, for the most part, Democratic primary voters are just, they're supportive of, you know, equal opportunity, justice, dignity. They're going to wind up on the other side of that question. So they have to do something different. So that's their MO. Like, that's how they know how to run these campaigns. 
the question will be, can they do that in an environment where we have yep. this massive war going on and all this news coverage about the fact that they're trying to take these folks out because of their position on this war? And so if they're trying to like run ads hitting them for like high gas prices, is that going to land? Or will they do what they've done with Cori Bush so far? They've put money behind an ad against Cori Bush, even before she had an opponent, saying that she was like supportive of Hamas or, you know, didn't sufficiently condemn Hamas or, you know, so, but, you know, obviously twisting uh, the, the reality, but for the first time, actually talking about the issue of Israel-Palestine. Uh, and so we'll see whether or not, because th those are their two choices. They can either try to obscure the fact that this is about Israel-Palestine, um, and we'll see whether or not that works, or kind of distort the, distort the question. Go that, and, you know. Yeah, well, we're seeing a real-time example, and, and you tweeted about this, and I want, I want to ask you about it, uh, about, you know, attacking those individuals who are squad adjacent, of course, people of color, for not condemning enough, right? In, in, in what I call the condemnathon. And as a Muslim, uh, I, am, uh, I am one of the Muslims. Uh, it's a safe space for me to admit it. Uh, in the past 20 plus years, post 9-11, you know, we, I always say that we have to condemn violent acts done by violent people we've never met. And we have to condemn harder, better, faster, stronger than anyone. And no matter what we do, it's still not enough. And now you're seeing this with a representative Jay Paul, uh, and specifically, uh, you know, she would do this CNN interview over the weekend, just a few days ago with Dana Bash. Um, and now there's been a massive campaign for the past three days, if people have noticed, uh, just seems like just a coordinated effort saying she does not care about, you know, Hamas raping Israeli women. And uh, you said, quote, this will be one of the key moments we look back on years from now and say, remember when Representative Pramila Jay Paul, the chair of the CPC, was made to put out multiple statements reaffirming the fact that she condemns sexual violence, that will be a window into how warped this has gotten, end quote. Can you unpack that for our listeners? It's been wild to watch um, because I'm generally not the kind of person that believes in like distractionism. Like you, you, all, you often hear uh, conspiracy-minded, you know, kind of paranoid people on the internet saying, oh, this new thing is just happening because it's a distraction from the government doesn't want us uh, thinking about this thing over here, which I've always felt is kind of cute because that implies that if we did think about this thing, we could influence the government on that question. Uh, and you'll have people take it into absurd places. Like I remember once there was a hurricane coming and the right wing was like, oh, isn't that convenient? There's a hurricane coming. <laughs> just because you, we control you don't want the weather now. Yeah, yes. uh, you don't want to talk about Hunter Biden. So now all of a sudden there's a hurricane. So that there, there's a crazy element of that. On the other hand, this is a situation where the public outrage uh, actually can influence, I think, the government's position on on this war. And I do think this is a, a kind of coordinated distraction. I mean, there was a, an event held at the United Nations by uh what's her name she wrote lean in and with a facebook executive oh sure uh cheryl sandberg cheryl, cheryl sandberg and the israeli ambassador convened a panel like an informal panel at, at the united nations condemning the united nations and women's organizations uh for not sufficiently condemning rape and, and sexual violence which it led you know which kicked off a new york times article and helped kick off this whole kind of news cycle 
Hillary Clinton and took uh, just Hillary did a Clinton post. did a direct to camera post. Like she she didn't she just doesn't um, impromptu do stuff. I think it's it's not at all conspiratorial to say that this was co- this was coordinated. Uh, and then you have Jayapal getting hit with this really bizarre question of okay, you've condemned you know Hamas atrocities, but have you specifically condemned rape and sexual violence, which is such an offensive question to somebody who has spent like her life fighting against sexual violence. What do you mean? Do I condemn rape and sexual violence? Of course I do. And she understood what was going on. And so she did not back down. And she said, absolutely. I condemn that. I I also condemn 15,000 to 20,000 civilians that have been killed in Gaza so far. And that's when um, that was a mistake. you You see people lose it. Like you're not allowed to right. equate lives. Like how how dare you suggest that there's any equivalence between Palestinian suffering and, and normal human suffering? Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. That, Ryan, is, is, is absolutely the point, right? Yeah. Is that is to make it so that you cannot equate people's lives. It's why you have an entire movement called Black Lives Matter, right? In order to signify that mm-hmm. Black life should matter just as much as white life. It's why, you know... Uh, in the civil rights movement said, you know, here's Emmett Till that has been beaten, brutalized and tortured to death. We need to show an open casket because you should care about this woman's son as much as you do a white woman's son. I mean, it's the same age old thing over and over again. And what I feel is that the media learns nothing here, right? Is that the media will make scapegoats. They will make, you know, when there is important news and important questions to ask, like, why are our tax dollars, billions of our dollars going to fund an apartheid state, right? Like, why are we spending billions of dollars on war, but can't stop childhood hunger in the United States? Oh, we did it during COVID, but, you know, that was just a blip on the radar. And I wonder, you know, what these women and the squad and the squad adjacent now represent is the change in America right, is not only the demographic shift, but this idea that, you know, people are looking around and recognizing, like, who's in control here? The pandemic, I think, supersized that for many, 
right? Where they're just like, wait a minute, how come I'm being forced to go to work, but y'all can stay home, right? How come now all of a sudden this everyone, no one can afford a $400 emergency. Now, you know, one pandemic or two checks missed, I'm at a food pantry that I didn't even know existed in my community. What they represent is standing up for the people. And what you see from mainstream corporate media, uh, as well as well-funded organizations like APAC is like, we don't want it. We don't want you. And so I wonder if they come out of this, Ryan, like in all of your, your research and the interviews that you did and the, and the conversations that you have, what do you think that this does to the quote unquote revolution, to the awakening, to, you know, what began right? Uh, you know, with, with Obama was disrupted by Trump. And now here we are again, just hanging on to democracy by a thread. What happens if this group is squashed? That's a, it's a really good question because you have a, a huge fact, huge and growing faction of the democratic base, you know, who sees in these elected members, like, their representation in the party like that's how they that's that's they that's their entry point into it like all right i i might not like you know joe biden so much but this is the coalition that i'm a part of because i i support aoc or i support summer lee or cory bush and if they do succeed in wiping them out uh although i don't think they'll be able to take out aoc or or ayana um this 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 go around but if they succeed in like decimating the squad it sends a huge signal uh to their million their tens of millions of supporters that you're not welcome here like there 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 isn't a there isn't a place for you here and it's being done you know very significantly with republican money which is another wild question like can you imagine the republican party allowing democratic mega donors you know to come into its primaries and and push and, and help to determine the outcomes, they would, they would put a stop to that. That the fact that the democratic party is okay with it, um, really says something. You, we just had, uh, George Latimer, um, announced that he was running for, uh, against Jamal Bowman. It's gonna, and that's going to be a fascinating one. And that will focus on Israel, Palestine. Like there's no question like that will be a central issue. You can't obscure that. And he, uh, Hakeem Jeffries had said, you know, we're going to, he's the democratic leader. We're, we're going to continue our policy. We're going to support all incumbents. You know, I'm going to support Jamal Bowman. But then the question is, like, well, Latimer was asked, did, did Jeffries call you and urge you not to run? Like, no, like I've, I've talked to a lot of, and also when he was asked about the outside spending, he said, outside groups are going to do what outside groups are going to do, but we support incumbents. And that is a, any, to anybody in politics, it's a cl- green light. Yep. It's a green light. Go ahead and do it. You got it. I'm not going to 100% bless it, but I'm going to 99% bless it. I've talked to plenty of candidates around the world, uh, around the country, who got calls from somebody like a Chuck Schumer or a Nancy Pelosi or a Kim Jeffries and told them, do not run. Like, this is our person. Like, they, they know how to do that. They, they created a blacklist that included any vendor or consultant who worked for Anybody, any Democrat who challenged an incumbent. So after 2018, when the squad 
one, they put this policy into effect. If you as a consultant or vendor support any challenger to an incumbent, you can never work uh, for the, you'll never work in this town again, basically. And they, so they know how to do this. Like they have disciplining mechanisms. And the fact that they're not doing that, you know, shows that they're willing to allow this kind of Republican money uh, to slosh into Democratic primaries. Um, and well, the final question I want to ask, Ryan, and it leads into exactly that, is when I interviewed Ilhan Omar for Daily Beast a couple of years ago, she, you know, I, we were talking about the latest round of death threats that she was receiving. And she told me, and you all can read that interview in Daily Beast, that she didn't feel like Chuck Schumer and the leadership had her, had her back. You know, he threw her under the bus in front of an APEC convention, actually, right? And in your book, you, you mentioned that, you know, things were frosty between Nancy Pelosi and AOC. And oftentimes when you talk to the squad members, they will tell you without pretty much telling you that, yeah, our leadership uh, does not support us as some of the most unhinged, violent, conspiratorial people, including Donald Trump, who, let's not forget, folks, told these women of color to go back to their own country. Uh, they're all Americans. That they don't have our back. They don't defend us. Like They don't go and use their donors and funders and resources to say, hey, we have to stand up with the squad. And so we've been talking about these outside pressures and talking about Republican money. How will the squad survive the Democratic establishment moving forward? Oh, and one, uh, one fun uh, detail I realized while re-reporting the book, one of the women on the stage, uh, and nobody noticed this at the time, when Trump told them, I'll go, go back to your countries, was Deb Holland who's literally Native American. The rest mm. of them are American citizens. She's literally like Native American. The OG. The OG. Right. Like, where on earth are you going to send Deb Holland? Like, you go back. Um, right, right. So the, the, how, so I think how they, how they maneuver through this $100 million gauntlet will affect how they're able to uh, withstand whatever is coming at them from Democratic leadership. Because if they can kind of fight back, survive, and actually grow their numbers, then they, that's, that's a powerful political message. Like that is a, that is a political weapon uh, that, they, that they can wield because now they'll, they'll be, you know, they'll be back, you know, flowing again, you know. Uh, so uh, as otherwise, the Democratic establishment is, is all too happy, you know, to see them uh, fit, finished off and hope that they can bring voters out to the polls just based on the kind of the threat of how bad the other party is. Like, yes, okay, we know you really liked these squad members and this, they represented your politics specifically, but we're, we're not too far away from that. And also Trump is terrible and he's going to bring fascism. So come out and vote anyway. So I think that, that is their, their hope of an, of an end game here. But the squad... You know, if you count um, Greg Kassar and uh, Austin, even you could, you know, Becca Ballant, the Vermont representative, shares their shares their politics. Um, Summer Lee, I think Summer Lee winning despite the multiple millions spent. If she can survive um, her her reelection, if all of them come back, and if they can, Delia Ramirez in in Chicago, uh, a super progressive woman, um, you know, if all of them come back and grow their numbers, then that that's a force that. The Democratic leadership has to grapple with, um, but they're they're thinking that this might be the moment that they could, you know, wipe them out. Hmm. Well, Ryan, 
thank you so much uh, for making the time to join Democracy Ish. Really, really appreciate you. Um, well, thank for you for listening. I appreciate it. And buy the thank book. The book. Yes. Yes. The yeah, book is the, book. The, the Squad by Ryan Graham. Oh, it came out. I have a copy. What it just came out? Uh, came out uh, on Tuesday. Oh, it just came yeah. out this week. Oh, I got yeah. the. I got the. Because I'm fancy. Because I'm fancy. I got it earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a good read. I'm proud of it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Democracy Ish. I'm Danielle Moody. And I'm Ajahdali. And we will be back next week if, in fact, we have a country left. Inshallah. <laughs>